Okay, Women of Hope, um, this is Jen, again. Um, I taught a couple weeks ago, and now I'm back. Um, this is my last time teaching for this semester, next week. I think Liza Page will be up, which I'm excited to hear from. Uh, so we try to spread the teaching around to the women Shepherd team members who are not currently having babies. So um, that's been that's been some wonderful trouble <laughs> recently. Um, so anyway, if I haven't met you, my name's Jen. Um, I attend all the sites. I have two kids, which I'm going to talk about a little bit today. They're in college. And we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount together. Um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we're on week 3. And just as a refresher, every time we're together, we're going to talk about one of the Beatitudes, which are in the first 10 verses of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to break those down. Alex did a great job last week talking about um, blessed are the poor in spirit. For there's the kingdom of God. We talked about poor in spirit being essentially us approaching God open-handed. We don't have anything to offer him. Uh, we're totally dependent on him for everything. Poor in spirit. Bankrupt. I'm not bringing anything to the table. I 100% depend on you, Jesus. Today we're going to look at the second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And it's important to know that these statements, these beatitudes, build on each other. So what does um, poor in spirit have to do with mourning and being blessed and being comforted? So it's, it's going to be interesting this morning. It's kind of a heavy topic, uh, talking about mourning and also the passage that we're going through today uh, in the sermon talks about anger. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. So I'm going to ask Jesus to... To be with us as he invites us to a life of flourishing. Remember we talked about the word blessed. To think of it as flourishing. Flourishing are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Flourishing is a way of being. So why would Jesus invite us to a life of flourishing in his kingdom that includes mourning? And that's what we're going to do today. So as per usual, we're going to start off uh, with us giving you guys and myself the gift of some, some quiet and some silence to kind of come down and take a few deep breaths, to feel your body, to feel your own presence in this room. I know a lot of us have had crazy mornings, have had crazy days, and our Savior is gentle and humble of heart and wants to care for you. So, our challenge is to be attentive and to pay attention to that. So what we're going to do together is I'm going to offer you guys some silence, and then I'm going to read this passage three times and ask you guys questions. And you guys can just journal about it a little bit, and then we'll talk about it in our small groups. So let's um, let's give ourselves the gift of listening to the Lord.
Jesus, thank you for being with us today. Thank you that your spirit is alive and well in us. I'm grateful you help us to listen to your word, to be subject to your word, to be attentive to your movements and what you have for us this morning. Thank you for loving us. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read our passage this morning. That's a portion of our passage that we're going to go through. And pay attention to what phrase or word grabs your attention as you listen. Let's listen to God's living word together. This is Matthew 5, verse 21 through 24. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You have heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So, if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. This time, imagine yourself at the scene. You're looking into the eyes of Jesus as he's talking about our angry hearts. What does your anger tend to look like? What might it feel like to you in your body? What might it feel like to others around you? Take some time to listen to Jesus about your anger as I read it this time. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You have heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift.
it one more time. And this time, you know, let's think about the relationships of the kingdom of God. Your brother or sister is not just your brother or sister. You know, let me just say that. Um, it's your family, your church family. What do you notice about the personal relationships in the kingdom of God in this passage? What does God value? And what's the invitation for you? As I read it this last time. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You have heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. What's the invitation for you? Um, <laughs> the earth. 
stuff happens, you know, we're in a fallen world. Um, in 2 Corinthians, God is called the God of all comfort and the Father of compassion. So yes, the presence of Jesus is a welcome and safe place to land in our grief. He does comfort us. And there's a great sermon, like I think last week, Chip did a great sermon um, on Jesus meeting us in our suffering. And I haven't heard all of them, but um, I'm sure all of them did. So that's where I want to just say, I'm going to put that over here. Jesus is a place for our grief and our mourning and our suffering. But that's not exactly what we're talking about this morning. In week one, we talked about how the first four Beatitudes build on each other. And how does mourning and being comforted, how does that, what does that have to do with uh, being poor in spirit and inheriting the kingdom of God? So let's look closely at the second beatitude that tells us we're blessed and we flourish in our mourning as it leads to comfort. And what Jesus is talking about is mourning sin. And I, I don't love giving all talk about sin and anger, but here we go. So, um, and I hope there's some comfort. Well, I know there will be. And some hope at the end of this. But we're going to talk about some hard stuff this morning. So we're going to talk about what does it look like morning sin in general? In general, like the whole world is broken. What does that look like to grieve morning sin in general? The second thing, what does it look like to mourn my own personal sin? And thirdly and lastly, where do we hear it for comfort? What is this flourishing on the upside down kingdom? What is it talking about? So morning sin in general, first of all. Morning sin in general in the world means that you've been hit by the weight of what sin has done to you and to everyone you know. Morning sin in general means that you've been hit by the weight of what sin has done to you and to everyone you know. You've been hit by it. You let it affect you. Romans 8 tells us that the whole creation is groaning for freedom from its bondage to decay. This whole world Everything dies. We're, we're stuck in this decay. Romans 8 tells us the world is frustrated. It's in bondage to decay and that we share in this groaning. We know, Romans 8 says, that we know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We join the whole creation in grieving, in mourning, the effects of sin on this fallen world. The world is broken. Look at our community. Just look at hope. It's not supposed to be this way. When disease touches our loved ones, when our loved ones are struggling with cancer, leukemia, women we know shouldn't have to struggle with longing for a baby. Babies shouldn't be born with disease and sickness. We have stories of broken families. We shouldn't have to worry about our kids' safety when we drop them off our school. Our kids shouldn't have to worry. This world is messed up. We can look outside of our walls of hope in our city, in our world. There's political corruption, systemic racism, wars, 
when the results of the simple choices of others rip at our hearts and our lives. I can go on and on, and I don't want to. I don't need to convince you guys this world is messed up. So even for me, like this summer at Hope, we had, I think we had five funerals in six weeks, and they're, they're, it's tragedy. Um, this, even this week, like sitting with dear friends whose daughters are struggling with cancer that's ripping and shredding their bodies. And then we have special days that should be marked by celebration, but we're mourning the loss of those people. That's happening this week. You know, you know people who are suffering. So where is this flourishing that Jesus is talking about? And what do we do when we talk about mourning the sin of the whole world? It's depressing. I feel depressed right now talking about it. So what are my choices? What do I do with this fear? Do I have to just get it out and wait till heaven? And I told you guys two weeks ago, the kingdom of heaven is here, among your midst. Right here. So what do we do? What do I do with the pain, the fear, the disappointment that I experienced just for being human, just for living on this world in this world? Things just fall on us in different ways. Your friend, the curse falls on your friends in different ways that it does on you. What do we do with that? Um, I have choices, you have choices, I can shut down, I can start drinking. I can numb out. I can get cynical. I can look away. We have lots of choices. But here we hear Jesus saying, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. What is he talking about? Jesus asks me to mourn over the sin of this broken world. And I'm telling you guys, in order to mourn, I gotta feel it first. You gotta let yourself feel it. And I'm not telling you to immerse yourself in depressing social media, you know, news feeds to find out about the broken stuff in this world. There's enough that just comes at you when you're not trying to look for it, okay? So don't hear me saying that when you need to immerse ourselves in depressing news feeds. I'm saying that Jesus is inviting us to learn how to lament, to do something with this grief that we feel over the fallen world. And it's life giving. He's telling us, blessed, flourishing. When you mourn, when you bring this mourning to me, for you'll be comforted. So, lamenting the sin of the world or how it lands on us and everyone we know. This is this definition of lament um, from the book Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy, which I recommend if you want to look into it more. But the definition of lamenting to lament is to turn to God in honest, Desperate prayer, giving voice to the reality of our emotions. It's an expression of faith in the God who hears our cries and responds in mercy and grace. And hear this, it leads to hope. So we're doing something with the morning that he asks us to participate in. We're bringing it to him. And we'll talk about what that looks like as we go. And this is a practice. You know, just lament one time. This is learning how to engage with God with the things that make us sad instead of putting them on the shelf or numbing out or looking away. So morning sin means you've been hit by the weight of what sin has done to you and to everyone you know. Blessed, 
flourishing and those who mourn because they will be comforted. All right, Jesus is inviting us to do something with this mourning and grieving so that our hearts grow. They flourish. That's the choice, isn't it? I can turn away, I can not feel, I can make my world smaller when things happen that I don't like. Or I can lean into it and allow Jesus to grow my capacity to even feel. And here's something, you know, you may know or you might find out. The more I engage with these hard emotions that are sad, it grows my heart and I can feel more joy. So it's our choice to make our hearts smaller and our lives smaller or to open our hands and depend on Jesus. Ooh, this hurts. But at the end, it's worth it because you can feel more joy. That's a hard sell. So we're going to talk about it some more. We lament over the weight of what sin has done to us and to everyone we know. But what about my own sin? What about the, when the results of my sinful choices rip at others' hearts and lives? Okay, so we just talked about mourning in general, the sin of the world. Now we're going to talk about my own personal sin. Uh, when my pride, or my rage, or my commitment to the most important person in this room, me, causes me to be a selfish, inconsiderate, prideful jerk. What do I do with my own sin, and what does it look like to mourn that? Uh, I want to remind us all, you may not know this, just the first words of Jesus' ministry. It's in Matthew 3. We're in Matthew 5 right now. His first words publicly were, repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. What does that word mean? Repenting means to turn to Jesus for life instead of these other ways that we try to self-save ourselves. Turn to Jesus' way, the upside-down kingdom. We'll talk about that some more. And this is super important. It's, it is possible to acknowledge that we are sinful without actually mourning over it. Okay, did you hear me? It's possible for us to go around and say, ooh, I'm a big sinner. That's just the way I am. I'm a hot mess. You know, you guys hear this stuff coming out of your mouth. I'm in Enneagram 1. I'm supposed to have pride problems or anger problems, whatever it is. I'm an eight. I'm supposed to be super harsh. I'm, a, I'm actually a seven. I'm supposed to be full of fear and very selfish. This is the way I am. So everybody get used to it. It's possible to acknowledge that we are sinful without actually mourning over it. And this is the invitation of Jesus today. Tim Keller says that Life-changing repentance begins where blame-shifting ends. Life-changing repentance begins where blame-shifting ends. I'm asking us today to own our sin and not blame it on other things or circumstances. Jesus is telling us that it's good for our hearts that we flourish when we grieve our sin, when we own it. The effects of our sin, what God thinks of our sin, the effects of our sin on other people. So what do I do with this invitation to mourn my own sin? Same choices. I can shut down. I can drink. I can turn my addictions. 
I can harden my heart and be cynical. I can look away. But Jesus asked me to mourn over my personal sin and how it affects others. And in order to mourn, I'm going to repeat this, we have to feel it. We have to slow down. We have to notice the first and second step of repentance. Noticing our sin, and God help us to notice it. His Spirit will do that if we ask Him to. Notice our sin. Number two, feel it. Feel the effects of our sin. So, thankfully, the Sermon on the Mount helps us in noticing our sins. So we're going to get into the rest of our text right now. Do you have a hard time noticing sin in your life? Some of us have a really hard time. Some of us only see the sin in our life. But if you have a hard time noticing the sin in your life, our passage today will help us. Um, it diagnoses our sin problem and shows us our need for rescue. Because Jesus' upside-down kingdom is one of reconciliation. And you just heard us read it and sit in it. He wants us to reconcile with each other. Particularly in this instance when we're angry. Because it's the same thing as just cutting people off and muttering in your heart. Where we recognize our deep need and also mourn over our sins so that we can repent and be comforted. So there's hope here. There's a place to go this morning into comfort, and we'll talk about that. So let's look at our text together. We're in Matthew 5, 21 through 30. I read some of it in the left ear portion, but we're going to read the rest now so you can open your Bible or whatever you do. Matthew 5, 21 through 30. You have heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder. <coughs> And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So, if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister. And then come and offer your gift. Here's the rest. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on your way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid your last penny. Here's the other kicker. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you right eye causes you sin, you have to not throw it away. We're not talking about the rest of this. Um, okay, so first I want us to focus on Jesus saying, you've heard it said, but I tell you. What is he doing there? He's talking about the Ten Commandments of Moses right now. Jesus is expanding on the Sixth and Seventh Commandment, uh, which were given to Moses in the Old Testament. You know, do not murder, do not commit adultery. Except Jesus shows us that he's not only concerned with our outward um, actions and behavior, he's concerned about our hearts, like what leads to this behavior. Here's a quote from Dr. Pennington, which we've been um, sharing with you. Uh, often I didn't bring the giant, giant book. But he says the explicit language of the heart here is one of the clearest examples of the deep and consistent theme of inward purity that pulses throughout all the sermon. God sees and cares about the inner person. 
This is Jesus preaching again, a whole person, greater righteousness to be pursued by God's people. And that's great news. Jesus cares about your heart, not just your actions. It's also kind of scary because he sees your heart despite your actions. So specifically in these two um, pieces of text, you see that murder begins in the heart and that adultery begins in the heart. Anger is equal to murder and lust equal to adultery. So we're already caught, right? Jesus' first two examples in this short passage are an indictment to all of us. If I'm angry with someone, if I insult them out of anger, I've murdered them in my heart. If I struggle with lustful thoughts, it's the same as adultery. Jesus is saying that we have a bigger problem than we think. Sin is a bigger problem than we would like to think. And it's far beyond our outward actions. So what we're going to do this morning is press into this anger issue. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the last one because there's a great sermon on it this summer that the guys did um, on the seventh commandment. And I don't really want to talk about this. So, <laughs> greatly prefer anger. So here we go. The first thing about anger I want to say is it's an emotion, okay? Being angry is not sinful. Scripture tells us that. There's a place for righteous anger. I feel it all the time. <laughs> I like to call it righteous anger. It probably is, I guess. But just the systemic racism. Um, yeah. Taking advantage of the vulnerable. Child slavery, that kind of thing. I just, it makes me so mad. And also, I need to grieve it and mourn it. So... Noticing it, yay. Anger is not a sin, but it gets tricky in our relationships, right? Anger turns to rage. Anger comes out. It affects other people. Why do I get angry? I get angry when I can't control people. When they're not acting the way I want them to. When things don't go my way. So uh, the people you're close to in your family, they know when you're angry. My son is, uh, he's, he's 21 now. Um, and he's been doing this probably since he was a teenager. But he's like, even this last weekend I went to visit him, my son Jacob, he's like, mom, you got your angry face. What's wrong? And I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> but he's been saying this so often and, and I mean, we banter a little bit about it now, but I've got an angry face, and I can't see it. It's my face. He knows what it is. So I'm like, Jacob, what is my angry face? And sorry, people on the podcast, if you're not going to see me. But it's something he'll do this. He'll see something like this. <laughs> I'll smash my lips together. But what do you think my response is that when he does that? Mom. What's going on? Are you mad? You got your angry face. I'm not angry. I'm fine. What's wrong with you? Whoa. She's coming off. I'm getting excited. Hold on, y'all. Something's brewing under the surface for me. He's not wrong. There is something going on. And God bless him, our kids, the people that live with us, see our faces. And even writing this talk, I'm like, why does he still bring this up? I'm finished with parenting. I'm like, it's an invitation for me to ask me some questions. 
What was that like for you when you were little? I just lost my mind. And we do that. I've told this story before, but when Taylor was, um, that's my daughter, and she's like six, she'd get those balloons, oh my god, from Paris Teeter, they don't hand them out anymore, you're welcome, but um, <laughs> so she'd get them, and she'd have these balloons, she just loves it, it's playing with it, playing with it, and I'm trying to get out the door, as if anyone's ever felt this way, we gotta go, get your shoes on, blah, 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 balloon, 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 I swear, I grabbed that balloon, popped it in front of her face. <laughs> That did not get us out of the door any quicker. <laughs> but God, could you imagine her version of that? Like looking at her mom grab something that's like the size of her face and just burst it. <laughs> I'm not angry. <laughs> oh my God. Oh boy. Okay, so I also have a friend who um, is in marriage counseling ever, over COVID, and they had to do online marriage counseling, which I would hate to do, but anyway, it was this huge breakthrough for her because when we were talking, she's like, the online thing was so good for me because when I was getting mad on the screen, I could see my face. And she's like, that's what my husband sees. I don't want to be like that. That's what mourning your spouse is like, how it affects other people. <coughs> what does your face look like when you get angry? So what do you do with your angry? Who with your anger? Who gets it? <laughs> Sadly, it's the people who are closest to you. That is a horrible truth. Is it your kids? Is it your spouse? Is it your friends? Is it your coworkers? Strangers online? Does it come out sideways? Think about your pet peeve. You know, you could be just at your dinner table and your 10 year old starts crunching that ice again. And all of a sudden you want to just fall through the wall. What the heck? It's not that big a deal. Perhaps we have more going on than the surface. <laughs> Woo, boy. Jesus, help. This is going to be a talk about hope. Okay. Honestly, some of you guys internalize your anger, carry it in your body, punish yourself. Some of us externalize our anger. Just let people have it. Blow up. Do you bottle it up or do you explode later? And you freeze people out, ghost them, pretend they don't exist. You save it for your dog. I've been there. RIP degree. Okay, I gotta get serious. All right, so with anger and rage as an example, we're gonna talk through our choices. What do I do when my anger shows up internally or externally in my relationships? And I hurt people because I'm trying to control them. Jesus says, flourishing are they that mourn their sin because they will be comforted. Maybe by God's grace, I've noticed that my anger has affected someone. Then what do I do? Well, I have that choice again. 
So if you think about the passage we're in, verse 24, go, first go and reconcile with your brother and sister. Why is this so hard? Why don't we do this? I know it's hard because it's hard for me. And I talk to a lot of you guys that are like, I don't want to do that. Why is it so hard to ask forgiveness? Why is it so hard to say I was wrong? Why is it so hard to reconcile? Well, I'm saying if we don't mourn our sin, if we don't feel how we've hurt others, then we'll get stuck. We get stuck in this vicious cycle. Remember, it's possible to acknowledge that we are sinful without mourning over it. So we've got to do the mourning. It's the path to comfort. Or we'll get stuck in this vicious cycle. So what's the vicious cycle? It's something like, well, I don't want to reconcile with others because I'll have to say I was wrong. I don't want to admit I'm sinful and in need of grace. So I have a sin problem, so I'll sin against people again. I'll get angry again. And then I don't want to reconcile because I'm sinful. And on and on and on. And where does this, what do we do with our sin? And you guys know that this looks like a ton of things. This is, this is the vicious cycle, the things that you can choose to do. This is, I do plenty of these. Blow it off. It's not a big deal. I'm not angry. Don't bother. I'm too busy. I wasn't myself that day. Or you can numb out. Pretend it didn't happen. Maybe I'll turn to my addictions for comfort. Drinking, shopping, exercising. Binging on food or entertainment. Um, I could try to literally pay penance instead of repentance. Let me make it up to you. I'll just clean the house. I'll buy you a present. I'll be super nice for a while. This one I like to do also. A quick apology in effort to selfishly relieve the tension. I want to feel better if someone say, I said I'm sorry. That's not morning of person. Some of us choose groveling or self-pity. It's a form of paying penance through self-contempt. I'll never change. You may as well just divorce me or end our friendship. There's no hope for me. And then some of us make promises or bargain. I'll do better next time. I'll make a different plan. So that's the vicious cycle. Where do we go to find comfort? This is the last point. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Where do we go? Here's the gracious cycle. I just talked about the vicious one. I did not make these two words up, but I kind of like them. There's this vicious cycle, and then there's a gracious cycle. This is what Jesus is inviting us to. True repentance requires turning from this vicious cycle and moving toward a dependence on the cross of Christ and his resurrection as our only hope. Instead of the vicious cycle, Jesus offers a gracious cycle, which looks like this. Pray that the Spirit will help you in self-awareness so you can notice when you sin. Notice the effects of your sin on others. And slow down and feel it. How do I slow down and feel it? Well, we ask those. That we interact with. How does my anger make you feel? I think we've got to listen and not defend ourselves. Well, you made me angry. 
That's going back to the vicious cycle. So ask people, how does my anger make you feel? Number two, own it. I am angry. I lost my temper. Again. Number three, when we get caught, let Jesus catch you. Don't do the vicious cycle of hiding and defending yourself. Turn to the path of mourning, which leads to comfort. Rely on Jesus and his work on the cross. Receive again his unlimited forgiveness. Remember that you're a saint. Receive again his unlimited forgiveness. Also, ask Jesus. Have a, have a conversation with him. Why am I so angry? Why is it so important for me to control everyone and everything? Why do I feel like I have to be in charge? Jesus, help me. Show me how I'm not trusting you. Show me what I'm afraid of. Have an interaction with Jesus. He's a safe place to land and it leads to comfort. Mourn with him about your sin. Next, become emotionally involved with how your sin affects others. Go and be reconciled with your brother and sister. There might be people in this room that you have some funk with. I don't know. People in your community group. People in your family. Go and be reconciled with your brother and sister. How do I do this? By being emotionally connected to the hurt that you caused and by asking for their forgiveness. And then relying on Jesus and receive again his comfort because he's already taken care of it all. And I'm going to add, you should ask, how can I make it right? We don't like to be in a place of need, but blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, that's what Jesus is saying. These build on each other. We can't grieve and mourn our sin unless we're open-handed with God and say, God, I need you in penance. I need you in helping me with my identity to survive owning my sin and mourning over it. And the good news of the gospel is you have a much better Savior than you think you do. He can handle all of it, and he has handled all of it. So to the, to the degree that we mourn our sin, both individually and collectively, we avail ourselves of heaven's comfort. The gracious cycle. To the degree that we don't, we rob ourselves of it. It's a vicious cycle. No comfort. For the world, grieving sin doesn't make any sense. For the Christian, it is the pathway to joy. Imagine the implications. If the Beatitudes are true, if Jesus really meets repentance with comfort, not condemnation, then you no longer then no longer do you need to be afraid of being exposed. You don't have to present an airbrushed version of yourself. You can live freely. That's a quote from Matt Smatchers from the Gospel Coalition. So back to the paradox of the upside-down kingdom. How could flourishing come from mourning sin and then leading to comfort? Well, mourning does something good inside of us. The sad realities that cause us to mourn also cause us to cry out for help. I'm poor in spirit. I need you, Jesus. Rescue, forgiveness, and deliverance of a Redeemer, someone outside of ourselves. And that Redeemer is Jesus. 
This is really good news to get out of this vicious cycle and the comfort that he's offering us in the upside down kingdom. So I'm going to close with reading Isaiah 61. And this is really cool because, um, you know, Isaiah 61 is in the Old Testament. Jesus, before he does the Sermon on the Mount, reads from the Old Testament in a synagogue, in a church, before he does the Sermon on the Mount. And he's reading about himself, which is, I think is really cool. So you guys turn to Isaiah 61, if you have your Bible or your phone or whatever. He reads this right after he returned from the 40 days in the wilderness. And remember the whole theme, you know, Jesus wants to lead us away from slavery, from this vicious cycle, through the wilderness and into the promised land of hope and comfort. And this is Jesus talking about himself. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. The poor in spirit. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Those who mourn. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, Zion is God's presence, to grant to those who mourn in God's presence to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, which immediately, I think, of this flourishing. I mean, he's talking about actual plants and trees that are oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And then verse 4, They, the mourners, shall build up the ancient ruins. They, the mourners, shall raise up the former devastations. They, the mourners, shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So the invitation of the upside-down kingdom is to grieve our sin, is to mourn for the sin of the world, and to turn the hope of the cross, turn to the hope of the cross for comfort. And this actually will have something, will have something to do with our grieving, and it creates in us a capacity to give comfort to others. That's what Isaiah 61 is about. The comfort that we receive, and I'll read this in 2 Corinthians, the comfort that we receive from Jesus is the comfort that we can in turn give to others as we're reconciling with our brothers and sisters. We can offer this forgiveness, this safe place to land outside of this vicious cycle and be life givers in our families, in our community. We can forgive. And we can be forgiven. So let me close and read 2 Corinthians 1. And you guys can look at this too if you want. Verse 3 through 7. The God of all comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. Through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also Christ, through Christ our comfort overflows.
If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patience, endurance of the same sufferings that we suffered. So there you see in 2 Corinthians this upside-down kingdom of paradox. Suffering and comfort. The God of all comfort. Truly the God of all comfort and the Father of compassion. So I hope that you guys and me, I hope this for me, to turn to Jesus and out of this vicious cycle to turn to the gracious one because he is a safe place to land. He's the God of all comfort. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this good news. Uh, It feels heavy and hard. And I'm thankful for you and your spirit that makes all of this possible for us to grow in the fruit of the spirit. Um, Help us to grieve and to mourn the way that we impact others. Help us to ask the hard questions. Help us to love. And help us to be um, members of your kingdom that long for reconciliation, uh, not only in our relationships, but in our city uh, and in the world, so that your kingdom can come today. And we look forward to when it fully comes uh, in heaven. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.